So let's open up God's word. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we are looking at the verses 22 to 25. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up. And rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped. And it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water And they obey him. Let's bow with me. Lord, we come to you to receive your word. Lord, your word is powerful. It is true. And it is able to purify us, to cleanse us, and Lord, to reveal us your will. Lord, as we look unto your word, prepare our hearts to see you for whom you are. Take any distractions away. Take any thoughts away that are right now in our minds and not on your word. Help us to focus. Lord, may your name only be glorified today and at this moment. We pray this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want to start us off with a question. And the question is, can you trust Christ? It is a simple question, but behind this question is much weight. And really you can Say, you can ask this question in two different ways. You can ask, can you trust Christ? And if you ask it that way, the emphasis is on Christ. Can you trust him? Is he someone you can put your trust on? Is he trustworthy? Is he worthy of your faith? But you can also ask this question in a second way, asking, can you trust Christ? Do you have a deep relationship with him that you can trust him? Do you really know who he is that you can trust him? 
Do you know Christ enough to trust him? So what does trust or faith mean? It is not just merely believing in facts. If it would be so, the Bible is revealing to us in James that even the demons, they, they believe and they tremble. So trust is not just believing in facts or in information. No, faith and trust is always accompanied with action. Look at you right now. Everyone in this room right now is fully trusting the chair to hold your weight. Isn't that true? And because you trust in that matter, you sit down and you relax. Trust is always, faith is always accompanied with action. And in today's question, we are dealing with the, with, the, with the very person of Christ and the question, can you trust Christ? The disciples were confronted with the same question. And the question is, can the disciples have trust in Jesus Christ in the storm? Can he keep and protect them even in the storm? Is he really the Messiah, God's son, who came to save his people? That is the very question that the disciples are facing. I want to give you a little bit context to the book of Luke. Yeah? Luke is writing an account to Theophilus to give him assurance about the things he heard about Christ. Luke is building his case in two sections. Yeah? And in the first section, in chapter 1 to 9, Luke is declaring who Jesus Christ is. He talks about his birth, his claims, his ministry, and his teaching. In chapters 10 to 24, we can see how the implications of Jesus Christ and who he is are played out and what it means. In the first part, you can see Christ proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's teaching and serving the people. And he's healing them. He is casting out demons and even providing food for them. He rises to an absolute superstar and the people come from all over the place to see him or merely just to touch him. But they came to see him, not to believe in him, but to benefit from him. Here in chapter 8, if you look into this chapter, a very difference is happening in Christ's ministry. Christ in chapter 8 verse 4 is starting to focus on to his disciples. And he said in chapter 8 verse 4, When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by a way of parables. So Jesus stopped to speak clearly to the people. He speaks in parables, but to his disciples in verse 10, he is explaining it saying, 
To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that they seeing they may not see and hearing may not understand. This is judgment. And Christ is focusing upon his disciples to more and more reveal him and to show them who he is. And you can see even just before our passage starts, Jesus Christ is saying people are coming to see him and his family is coming. And they say um, in, in this verse, um, chapter 8, verse 21, But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So the focus of Christ's ministry is upon his disciples. And in this very passage in chapter, we are on the tail end of the argumentation of Luke. And it all culminates in the great climax in chapter 9, verse 20, when Peter is making the greatest confession. He says, And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Peter understands that Jesus is the Christ of God. And we are here in the tail end. And we are examining how Christ is now showing to his disciples who he is. Today, we are going to see how Christ is teaching his disciples who he is. And that they can trust him in any circumstances. And if you take notes, um, please bear with me. In Luke 8, 22 to 25, you will see three realities of faith in Christ so that you cling to him. And we will see that in three realities. And the first is faith in Christ leads into the storm. Second, faith in Christ dismantles self-confidence and faith in Christ realizes who he is. So let's start in our passage. Point number one, faith in Christ leads into the storm. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. When we look how this passage starts, it's very simple. Yeah? Luke is saying, now on one of those days. What is this day about? If you go to Mark 4 verse 1, you can see that Jesus Christ was teaching all day to the people. And in verse 35, we say, when evening came. So Jesus was starting in the morning and preaching all day to the evening. And if you go to Matthew 8, you can even see that Jesus was not just preaching. Jesus was healing, answering people all day. He heals a leper. He heals the servant of the centurion. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And he gives the parable of the sower, the soils. And he was teaching all day and later even explaining it. To his disciples. Jesus commands them after this long journey, a long day, to go to the other side of the sea. Matthew 8, verse 
8 verse 18, you can read it is Jesus' intention, Jesus' command to go into the board and go to the other side. He needs to go to the other side, to the place of the Gerasene, because he has an appointment with the Gerasene demoniac. But he wants to use this travel to teach faith to the disciples. And then we see further, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. This is a place where we need to stop. If this would be a psalm, we would read, Selah. Do we understand and realize who is falling asleep after a tiring day? The creator of the world, Christ, the sustainer of the universe, is here and he is falling asleep. We see Christ's humanity here displayed. Christ is really a real human. After a tiring day, after an exhaustive day, he falls asleep. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, we can see Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? But here, Christ is seen in his humanity. He emptied himself. He took on flesh. And he's serving the people. He is tired from serving, from healing, from proclaiming the kingdom of God. We can see in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that thou he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the Christ who's sleeping in that boat. Why was he sleeping? He was tired from ministering and preaching the people. But don't miss the point. Christ is leading them into the storm. The disciples were not in disobedience. Christ was commanding to travel. And Christ was telling them to go there and to enter the board. Do you understand that you can be perfectly in the will of God and still face a storm? Just because a storm in our life arises, does that not mean that you are outside of God's will? God is using, Christ is using this very storm to teach his disciple a lesson. The perfect, they are in the perfect will of God, but still the storm comes. Let's go to our next point after seeing that faith in Christ leads into the storm, we see 
Point two, faith in Christ dismantles self-confidence. Faith in Christ dismantles self-confidence. Verse 23, uh, 23, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. So Jesus and the disciples are sailing along. He falls asleep, and we see a great danger is arising. The Galilean Sea is a very special place. It is the lowest freshwater sea on all earth. It is surrounded by many mountains and is predestined for quick and sudden storms. You can YouTube it, and it is even today a very famous and loved spot for surfers because of the high winds and the waves. And we see that this storm came sudden. Matthew uses the word um, in the Greek for seismos, and he's literally proclaiming this storm as a sea quake. Yeah? And we can see the fierce gale of the wind descended on the lake from the mountains, and they began to be swamped. So water is entering the or water is entering the boat. And they are in danger. And I want to tell you. Please be very realistic about this scenario. These are not some boys in a paddle board on a lake. We know at least from four of them. That they are veterans of this very Galilean sea. We know that. They were fishermen, and even their fathers were fishermen. This is their area of expertise. This is their neighborhood. They know every corner, every inch, every place on this sea they know. They grow up, grew up with this very lake. And if they have known that, they would have not gone. We can see this is... More than just a natural occurrence. But these veterans who earned their stains and are bold. Coming to the conclusion. That all their knowledge. All their expertise. All their experience. Is suddenly useless. Everything that they have earned and have confidence in, becomes useless. Faith in Christ dismantles self-confidence. And this very storm was brought to these disciples from Christ to sink their self-confidence. They needed to learn that their wisdom, their experience, and their abilities are useless. Everything fails and they cannot do nothing. And they realize alone they will die. When they see, be in danger, these men are ready to lose their life on that sea. Their storm is not there to sink the boat. The storm is, the storm is there to sink and to drown their self-confidence. Verse 
their experience and their knowledge. Christ leads you to the end of your faith. The faith in self. The faith in self must fail. So only then you realize who Christ is. Only when your own faith and the area, the experience and your confidence fails, you're able to realize who Christ is. And we see in our point three, faith in Christ realizes who he is. Verse 24. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We have seen trust, have faith, not in yourself, but in Christ. And the disciples finally Coming to him and they are calling on him. They are crying to him. If you survey the other gospels, we can see that all of them are speaking differently. And not because they all got it wrong. No, they reflect the chaos in the boat. There was not one single voice saying, master, master. They were screaming around like panicked people. In Matthew, we see, save us, Lord. In Mark, we see, teacher, teacher. But also we can see they don't call him in a humble way. This was not, oh Lord, please help us. Mark records that there is a sense of accusation. And Mark says, do you not care? So they are not coming to Christ in a humble way. They are coming with a sense of accusation. Do you not care? Isn't that when, when storms arise, arising, sinful thoughts will come to our mind? And we think the Lord is sleeping. He let us alone. He does not care. Christ, where is he? And that is the situation, the accusation of the disciples. Christ might have been sleeping on the boat physically. But the disciples were the ones whom forgot that Christ was with them on the board the whole time. They forgot that he was the one saying, let us go over. And what he says, what Christ says will happen. But what happens in the very mind of the disciples? They forgot what he said. They only see the circumstances. They, the circumstances, the waves, the waters, the water in the boat was telling them this will not happen. What Christ said to them will not happen. They're looking at the storm. And not at the sun. They forgot because everything around them was difficult, frightening and dangerous. What they had seen so far on the journey with Christ 
was gone. They forgot who he is and what he is able to do. They have to understand now new who he is. And they have to understand deeper who he is. Christ was sleeping here because he was tired. Really tired. And we looked at that. But what is our Christ doing? What is the great hero doing? In the moment of his greatest fatigue, he rises to serve them. And we read, and he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. Christ rises, and he's not in panic. He's not in uncertainty. He rebukes the wind and the surging waves. The word that is used here, he rebuked, is a continuous word in Luke that is used over and over and over again. In Luke 4.35, Jesus Christ is rebuking the demon. In Luke 4.39, Jesus is rebuking the fever. I wish I would be there to see how Christ is rebuking the fever, okay? And in 4.41, Christ is rebuking demons. And in Mark 4.39, we can even see that the word is used in the parallel passage. He speaks to the wind and uh, to the waves, hush, be still. Only when you have authority, you can rebuke. Parents know that very well. And I, as a son, know that as very well as well. When the rebuke comes, you need authority. And Christ is displaying his divine authority. Christ's divine authority is clearly seen in this passage. Because we see, and they stopped and became calm. In a, very, in a different gospel, it says, it became perfectly calm. Immediate calmness. Have you ever seen a, a wind, a, a storm on the sea? It takes time. But Christ speaks. And the water stops. And it becomes like a mirror with clear, no movement on the water. It is perfectly calm. This is the power of Christ. How is that possible? How can that be? Because everyone knows the wind does not hear and it, and it does what it wants. But Christ has absolute power and the forces of nature obey him immediately. Wind and water recognize their God and master and obey him. This power over water displays very well who Christ is. He is God. Every Israelite would be remembered of the scene from Exodus. God parting the waters. And even in the Psalm, Psalm 65 verse 7, we can see who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89 verse 9, you rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, 
you still them. Only God alone has authority over wind and waves. He can raise up the storm, but he can calm it. And we see here a clear contrast between Christ's humanity and his divinity. Christ is real human, but Christ is real God. He is truly man, but also truly God. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Verse 25. After this shocking event takes place, we see. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters? And they obey him. And he said to them, It starts, Christ is speaking and he's saying, Where? Where is your faith? And in Matthew 8, 26, in the parallel passage, we see, Why are you afraid, you man of little faith? Mark 4.40, another parallel passage says, Why are you afraid? How is that you have no faith? Beloved, this is a rebuke. You might think, is that not rude? Is he not compassionate here? No, he is. But Jesus has already demonstrated his power to the disciples on multiple occasions before this. Do they remember how Christ called them? It was on this very lake that they got the the catch of their lives. The fishes were coming to them. Christ was healing lepers, paralytics. He resurrected even the son of the widow. He has the power of death and he was displaying that to them. He was even forgiving sins and the Pharisees even get the point that he is claiming to be God. Christ already proclaimed his divinity, his power and his authority. All of this seen by disciples firsthand. But in this very moment, their faith was gone. Everything they saw was subordinate to the circumstance, the problem, the hopelessness. Should not in this very moment the faith be seen? Faith be seen? Should not in this situation calmness and peace taking over? But they only see, saw the sleeping Christ. They only saw the sleeping Christ. It is interesting that in Mark it says, Why are you afraid? Beloved, please understand that fear is contradiction to faith. Where fear is, there is no faith. These things don't go along. If you have grace, if you have faith in Christ, you will not fear. 
Every storm reveals the state of your faith. Every storm is at the same time an opportunity to show where you are at your faith. And it begs the question, do I know him? Do you really know who he is? Obviously, the disciples did not realize who he is. Because they say they were fearful and amazed. Saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him? Do you see how the fear of the storm suddenly switched? That they feared Christ more than the storm? When you see God and you realize your sinfulness, you are afraid. That is what happens with Peter when he, got, he catched the fish. He said, Christ, go away from me. All, is, all of Luke is answering the question, who Christ is. And we can see that the Old Testament is clearly attesting to it. In Psalm 89 verse 9, we already read that. You rule the swelling of the sea. When it waves rises, you still them. But another passage greatly explaining what is happening here is Psalm 107, 25. Psalm 107, 25. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted and away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. When they were glad, then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to the desired heaven. Isn't that what happened here on that very scene on the Sea of Galilee? Christ calls upon the storm, but Christ also calms the storm. Beloved, why is Christ doing this? Why is he doing this? Christ is doing that so that they know who he is. The storm was there to deepen their knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. He strengthens them through the storm. And I love Job. And Job concludes in Job 42 after his miseries. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have heard of you by the hearing of the hear, but now my eyes sees you. In James 5 verse 11, we see, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and you have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The consequence of Job's suffering was a deepened knowledge and understanding of the Lord. The end was the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. 
Jesus knows about the little faith of the disciples, but he is not forsaking them. He convicts them, but in displaying his might, he strengthens them. Do you see his wisdom? Do you see his compassion? Do you see his mercy? See his might that it is that saves them in the end. I want to conclude this message by asking two questions. What about you? Can you empathize with the disciples? Is the question, or do you think that nothing will happen to me? I will be good and I will live life. I want to tell you something. A storm will come because he wants to show you who he is. The question is not if the storm arises. The question is when. You might already had a moved life and maybe it will come. It could be a diagnosis from a doctor. It might be losing your job or conflict in friendship in a marital relationship between spouse, immense pressure from work, school, home, family, or even sin that takes and knocks on your door, temptation and trouble, which are trying to tear you down. How are you going to walk through this situation? Will you? Rest in the knowledge of who Christ is. Will that be the moment where the storm arises all over you, but you can sleep in the bottom of the boat knowing that Christ is with you? Can you trust Christ? He is God. But he is truly man. He can sympathize with you. Is he worthy of your trust? Is he trustworthy? My second and last question. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. If you will not. And don't want to call him master, master. If you don't cry out to him and seeking his peace, a storm will come. And it will be the storm of the mighty God's wrath. And that storm will bring you to hell where you will be dying. And Christ will not be there to calm that judgment. He, Christ, the God-man, came to earth to save sinners. And he is here today in his word. Will you trust in your self-confidence, abilities, powers? 
or are you willing to destroy everything and to declare bankruptcy, to repent from your sins and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ? Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross to die for sin and to rose again. And he rose again on the third day to be now at the right hand of the Father. He is the Savior. Put your trust and your faith in him. He will save your soul. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are amazed by your sovereignty. You are the ruler of everything. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, we see how you are truly man. And truly God. And you became poor to save us. Thank you, Lord, that you are using storms in our life to show us who you are. Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to cling to you. And help us to deny our self-confidence so that we can freely and willingly call to you. Lord, we, we are helpless without you. Please build our faith. Please sustain us. At the same time, we say thank you. And we are in awe seeing who you are. May that be our strength, our hope for this coming week. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.